Welcome to the Artisan Situation Podcast. The act of sustainable agriculture and organic farming is still considered by many as a practice on the fringes. When Norman Borlaug presented the ideas of the Green Revolution, traditional farming techniques or those focused on sustainable agriculture have been considered more of an obstacle than a resource. It was a revolution focused on the goal of industrialization with the sacrifice of biodiversity, Wes Jackson explained in his segment from Letters to a Young Farmer. Farming is hitting a critical pressure point. The average age of a farmer, as reported by the Ag Census, is 58 years old and only 6% of these farmers are under the age of 35 years old. There is an incredible need for young farmers to take to the fields and farm the land that's left behind by this older generation of farmers. Jack Algier is working hard at the Stone Barn Center for Food and Agriculture to help build resourceful, passionate, and thoughtful farmers. The center located in Pocatica Hills, New York, sits right at the lower tip of the Hudson Valley, only 30 miles from Manhattan. His team works with children, high school students, and using their world-renowned apprentice program to build farmers for the future. He oversees a diverse farm operation that includes pasture livestock, grains, field crops, fruits, wild landscapes, flowers, and compost. He uses all of these areas of the farm to create a dynamic farm system. Jack fell in love with farming in the early 1990s and never looked back. This is Jack Algier farm director of the Stone Barn Center for Food and Agriculture. Join us at the table. So you want to introduce yourself and what you're up to um, sure. these days? We're my running name? now. Yeah, we're running. We're live. We're going. Right. <laughs> well, my name is Jack Algier, and I'm the farm director at Stone Barn Center. Uh, I've been here uh, with my wife. And we started here in 2003 to start the farm. Uh, was the first employee of the center and really here to help develop the farm and help to sort of figure out what we were going to do relationship-wise mm-hmm. with the restaurant, with our programs, with the community. And so here from the, from the beginning, get-go, right? Very beginning, yeah. 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 And was, was that such a challenge to kind of think about, you know, even the mission and the vision of this place? Was it kind of like you got here and you just had the barn and, that, and that's kind of... <laughs> yeah, you know, there was a few things in place. Um, there was there was an ideal in place. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think, in a certain way, the everybody who was, uh, you know, who had invested in it, their time or their money or whatever it put in, um, really all wanted the same thing, which was to make a relationship, to have a space for contact mm-hmm. to a food system in a world where there's you know less and less contact all the time with the food system. This was and is still a a magnificent place located very close to the city. Uh, The access to this place, you know, we're within 30 miles of 30 million people. It is sort of a significant stepping stone for people to really come out of the city a bit and see that. And also for a place for upstate and the surrounding uh, rural areas to step towards the city. And it's a platform right before you get into the, the thick of it. It's like a port for agricultural knowledge. You know, it's kind of centered right at the end of the Hudson, right? And you yeah, can kind of branch yeah. out to all these different areas and, and also get that contact with the city. My personal feeling all the way through before I came here was uh, 
just that I wanted to make an impact. It has always been clear to me why that that uh, we really do need to get people back in touch with the system. So when I first heard about this, uh, it was brought to me by one of my two of my mentors actually that said, "You know what? You should. This is really the place where you should go." And I wasn't really looking for something new, but uh, said, "You know, when I started to learn about what the idea of this was, it." I love that it was such a shell. It was just, here's the vision of generally what we want to get across to the public. It's a very simple and, and clear message is that we want people to be in closer contact with the food system so they can make better choices. Mm -hmm. And that's on both sides. So that's developed into what the place is now, which is you know, a very innovative place with this uh, you know, farm-driven cuisine on one side and agroecology and like these intersections that are taking place. Um, and that's what grew out of a, a very organic base. Mm -hmm. um, and at the same time, because the place is such a, a dramatic and beautiful uh, piece of land and also structures and everything, the way that it's designed, it has such old heritage here mm -hmm. that it also is just a, a really comfortable place to come to. It's a beautiful <laughs> place to be and spend time. And I think that means a lot, I mean, on any farm, um, especially the smaller, smaller and more uh, community-based farm systems, beauty plays a huge role. I think it really does. Like in, in education, I mean, it wasn't until I was in college and I set foot onto a beautiful farm where I really did fall in love. I feel like I felt like I, you know, I got connected. And um, have you seen that when you have, you know, young kids come to this space or even high school students and, and they see it and they, and they interact with it? Do they, do they kind of just get pulled into this whole new world, kind of a different vortex than they'd ever experienced? It is a new place. It's a new kind of habitat for people to be in because this place functions, it sometimes feels like a park. Uh, it can, you know, it is a preserve. We're in the center of a thousand acre, more than a thousand acres of park preserve and trail systems that has been established for over a hundred years. Mm -hmm. uh, so there's a certain feel of of a park setting, but then there's a really living system happening and all this ecology that's happening around the farm uh, that I think makes a really big difference for people who visit. Um, and I also think that aesthetic is not just a visual thing. Beauty is, is a felt thing. It's, it's an emotional relationship. So the aesthetic of a place improves the more people know the depth of it mm -hmm. or, or doesn't improve. You know, actually, the, the aesthetic of, say, a golf course might change for you if you recognize, like, how much chemicals might be used on it. As opposed to, oh, that's really, that green grass is so beautiful and nice and everything's going the same direction. Of course, there's, there's a surface picture to it. The more you learn, the, the picture changes for you. And the same here, where they're stepping into a natural environment, but it's, it's a very... Um, guided experience because the, the farmer, we're working in all of our places, we're working in our wild spaces, we're working in our sort of semi-wilds and we're working in fully cultivated areas. And we care for all those places as stewards, you know, they all give a little bit, they all give different things to the system. And I think people really, uh, really feel that even if they don't know the depth of it. And that's what I like is that they can come in um, from any walk of life, from any discipline, and, and see, see the place as they enjoy it. And mm -hmm. then when they dig, 
it actually becomes more beautiful to me. Yeah. When did you decide you wanted to become a farmer? Was there a moment in your life that was distinct that you can remember, or was it kind of something that just gradually happened to you? Uh, it was pretty distinct. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I was in high school, uh-huh. and I was working. Uh, I had... I grew up on a small farm, but I wasn't by any means thinking about being a farmer. I just I loved nature and loved spending time at the farm. Um, but mostly I loved music, mm-hmm. and I played a lot of music, and sort of expected that I would go to school for that. What kind of music? <laughs> um, jazz and, and classical. Cool. Um, I played percussion, so I played everything from drum sets to timpanis and things like that. And um, I had really made that a, a part of who I was. It still is a part of who I am. And uh, I had a moment of realization, the kind of realization that I think a lot of 17 and 18-year-old kids have, especially now, mm-hmm. um, is that, wait a second, I think there's something that's been left out of these stories. I'm feeling like a little bit betrayed by... by uh, you know, this fast food store or these big box stores or, mm-hmm. you know, or this political system that's set up in this way to keep us from being able to have a healthy lifestyle. Mm-hmm. And I thought that, you know, working greenhouses and the way I had been grown up on a small farm, an organic farm, we, it wasn't ever, I never even thought about the chemicals that went into things or, or that even being a person who works with the land could do anything but good. And that was the shock to me. And I thought, you know what, like, I have a lot of skills. Um, I learned a lot of things about how to do this stuff when I was younger, you know, equipment, things like that, and just a love of nature, which I think you have to have to be a good farmer. Just mm-hmm. you really have to love the things, the living things around you. And Paying small, close attention to all those things. Yeah, I mean, it's just a... It's just a it's like a relationship. It's like awareness of the people around you is the same as awareness of the soil or the trees or the insects that are around us. We, we know them by name and we care for them, you know, as changing and evolving things. And so, mm-hmm. um, you know, when I saw that happen, I thought, you know what, like, I really want to go to school to learn more about this. So I actually went to the University of Rhode Island for plant science, which I got my degree from. And throughout school, I always had kind of this dichotomy between working on small organic and biodynamic farms and working in conventional greenhouse systems at the university. So I was learning a little bit of both, uh, often conflicting in some ways. Mm-hmm. Um, and still, it was a time in the 90s when there really wasn't, uh, there wasn't yet the sustainability programs in the schools, even University of Rhode Island didn't have a program like that, which they do now, and it's an excellent program. But at the time, it was still, organic was sort of the, the alternative to the alternative. Like, after you get done with talking about how you actually do horticulture and agriculture, mm-hmm. then you can talk about organic systems. It's like on the outskirts of jazz, right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's like I mean, the... pretty far out, so <laughs> we'll talk about that if we have some extra time at the end of the semester. <laughs> yeah. Or you can take this class, but you won't get any credit, which is another thing that's happened <laughs> wow, that's, a lot in universities. Crazy. You know, it's very, very common. Uh, not so much anymore because it's it's centering. It's moving towards a middle. Um, so I knew that was what I wanted to do, and uh, my wife and I had been together for over 20 years and had always had that mindset together that, uh, you know, no matter where we were, what we did, we'd, we would always grow food. 
and participate in this way. And um, I guess I kind of asked in some ways to to be more of a part, to help make more of a change, not just to feed myself. And uh, I guess everything has to start a little bit selfishly. <laughs> yeah. You know, like I need this for me. But once I figured out I could do that for me, it's kind of boring. So it's like, okay, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> how, how do can we I share make this? change, right? There's got to be change. You, can, you can't really escape the world and the things that it's going to hand you. So uh, you, can, you can make a change. You can yeah. just go right at it. And the more I do it, the more I realize that um, it's not about making anything that we do seem complex. It's about making it seem accessible mm-hmm. because it's just really about attention. And it seems like today, I know a lot of a lot of friends that I've come across. Um, they're young farmers, and they now want to be do this because they really want to. Like they, it's all about passion for them, and they they're really excited about that. And I know that, that sometimes they have those challenges of you know finding land, finding capital, um, learning about it in a. And I think that what you're saying, how this is coming more to the center, um, now they're starting to have that access to knowledge. Um, how do you think Stone Barns has centered their idea of education um, to these younger farmers? Um, I know you have the apprentice program, you have you know, this program for high school students. Um, you know, what, what are kind of the major attributes that you guys focus on to try to teach people, get them ready for opening mm. a farm, starting a farm? Well, the, the real focus around the farm is, I guess, I'll put it in this context. Uh, we serve everyone who's interested in the subject, mm-hmm. but there are clearly change points in a lifetime. Mm-hmm. There are times in your life that you make big, you, you, they're like nodes. You know, we, we consider part of a change in our life to, to eat differently. That, that first step is, uh, you know, with our, our parents and that kind of thing when we're young, because our parents kind of give us this opportunity and we learn in a certain way. And I'd love to talk more about that, like what the what a foundational picture for children in an environment like this can do. Mm -hmm. But the first real choice that we make for ourselves, and not just our parents make it, is generally in that 16 to 18 mark. Mm -hmm. And it's a very impressionable time. It's when the world opens up for us as individuals. And it's a great moment to make that change. So that's why we like to work with older high school students, because we feel like that's the first... It's it's like the first real look. And instead of being... uh, you know, totally, totally disenchanted by the system that's out there, they, they realize that they can actually do something and mm-hmm. that their choice makes a big difference, or it can. Um, the next step is generally if a person decides at that point where, it, you know, very few people, but sometimes realize out of high school that they're just going to dig in and do this, they're very skill-oriented, labor-oriented, want to jump right in, and they work really hard, and they work their way up. Mm-hmm. But most of the people we're talking about are people that are going to college that didn't come off a farm environment, have a great love for nature, a great passion for food, a great understanding of environmental issues more than ever before, mm-hmm. and a, a pretty significant confusion and fear around what's to come. You know, so there's a lot of, there's, a lot there's, of variables There's plenty still to out be concerned about. Right? <laughs> we all are. But at that age, you think, okay, well, I have a long life ahead of me, and you know, this is the time to get started. So, generally, that happens in college, and so they graduate with, you know, an engineering degree or a neuroscience degree or environmental science degree or whatever they're they're coming out of, or art, 
and they recognize that you know they're they love those things and that's what they're great at but uh, often what happens is they don't feel the impact the immediate impact of of what they're doing in their life and farming is very tactile it is like the tactile profession <laughs> right so you, you jump into this and you realize how much you don't know the first thing is to sort of reject everything that happened before and make this change like all from the heart totally mm -hmm. from the passion i'm going to jump in i'm going to work really hard i'm going to do this i'm going to be a farmer um, and then the reality strikes where it's like i really have no like the, there's too much detail here this is like massively complex mm -hmm. and how do i start and that's why it's really important for us to have developed the apprentice program and the education around the apprentice program here uh, because we're able to do a couple different things one is we we have a, a, a great system, first off, from, from the farm side of things. I continually learn about how holistic design works and how things, the resources can be shared with each other and how like, real agroecology can be realized in, in every place differently with a set of principles and just uh, an awareness about the resources that we have, the things that we need to bring on, what we may be losing, well, just the flow mm -hmm. of things. And so first we want people to learn about that kind of stuff. Just understand those, those connections, relationships, balances. Yeah. I mean, it's, there's a thing that's, there's, there's the technical stuff, there's the emotional relationship, because many of these people haven't necessarily had enough time to sort of, uh, convene with nature in a way like you're just mm -hmm. like spending time out there and listening and, and observing and and mimicking what you see because most of what we do in our choices you know we we learn a lot from each other because we're not in environments that we can learn the same way we learn from each other from all the rest of nature uh -huh. right and so the part of it is just breaking that chain a little bit they yeah. actually the same messages can be taught all kinds of great messages are taught every day for us and so we just want the environment, we want them to come out, work on a farm that is actually producing real production style agriculture on a smaller scale that, uh, that also has this great integration with community. You know? mm -hmm. So that's one start. So they're working on the farm, getting in touch with the natural system that they're working in, getting in touch with the community, and learning more about their body. Then there's this sort of other level of things, which is uh, more about some with themselves, how they can actually remember what they did beforehand and apply it to who they are now, mm -hmm. that they've learned some of these things in agriculture. Because it's often we let go of the thing that was happening in the past, and we've changed professions, and now we're farmers. But the engineering mind, or the sports mind, or the artistic mind, they're all extremely valuable additions to knowing how to farm. Mm -hmm. And so the, the sort of personal relationship to the place and bringing all that you ever had, even if it wasn't farming, especially if it wasn't farming, to where you're at now in that moment, I think is a, an extremely important thing to, to just acknowledge for ourselves because that's when stuff starts to click into place. Uh -huh. You get out of your comfort zone a little bit and you're starting to learn new things and you connect them back to things that you already knew in new ways. Yeah. And I love working with people who have all these different backgrounds because they look at things differently. And 
I'm, I'm really, I love the idea of risk taking and coming up with ideas and, and trying those ideas to see if they work within a context. And so I'm much happier with people who are, you know, envisioning different things to see happen rather than just waiting for me to give them a command. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I expect some of that stuff because we do have, we've developed methods over decades. And, mm-hmm. you know, before me, many of these things are centuries old. So the modeling, you know, and picking up that we're, we're doing it in this way, this is how we're going to do it. And so the more you spend time in that row weeding and doing this thing, you may be thinking there's got to be an easier way to do this. Mm-hmm. You know, and we want that kind of creativity. We want it to stay positive because that entrepreneurial ideas kind of come spirit, from right. That. Yeah. Of. So that that's the personal thing, and then again, the uh, another layer around that is land acquisition and business management, right? Because those two pieces, that's where you really have to shake whatever story you were told about farming when you were little. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's like the last test is to say, you know what, there's no opportunities anywhere. I can't afford land and, you know, I got to build this barn and all these tractors and whatever. Like, there's lots of ways to engage in agriculture. There's Mm -hmm. lots of opportunities out there that don't look like the kind of thing you'd expect as agriculture Mm -hmm. or like a farm, you know. There's, There's definitely all kinds of business models and collaborations now I mean, that's sort of the beauty of the way the food system has developed is there, there are so many opportunities to work in sort of multidiscipline facets now. We went to a very industrialized system where that we lost a lot of that cottage. It was kind of just... Yeah, just very pragmatic. And then we started to put some craft back into it, you know, which was, it's a necessary sort of pendulum swing, you know. We have to get back to that stuff. And we'll... What's happening now is going to educate all the big conventional stuff that's happening. It is already, mm-hmm. you know, uh, recognizing these relationships to cover crops and, and what the larger ecology and ecological impact is of, of farming. For so long, we, we've not been recognizing those resources. So on the small scale, working with a purveyor on one side or working with a small company that's, uh, you know, doing something with your product or, or a restaurant or a CSA or how that farmer then links into the rest of the system. Um, kind of going back to what I said earlier, it starts with a selfish motivation. It starts with the, uh, a personal need to do something. And then you have to connect to the community. It's rare that someone says, I'm going to move to Boston and start a farm and, and everybody's going to love my stuff. Mm-hmm. You know, what will happen is likely if you go to Boston, you'll recognize what's the need, what the needs are. If you go to the Berkshires or if you go to the Hudson Valley, and um, you'll have a lot more success connecting with the rest of the community and seeing where the needs are. Mm-hmm. Finding out you know, where you fit into that puzzle of that community and, and, yeah. and branching out from there. I, I noticed that when we were walking around, I was getting the tour that um, you connect with a lot of people on the seed level and like the biodiversity and, and just trying to try new things. Like this seems like this, you guys have embraced the farm laboratory idea and you guys are just really, um, you know, embracing new projects. I mean, the squash um, that 
has, mm-hmm. has become definitely a, you know, it's exploded. I think that a lot more people are starting to recognize um, the squash that you guys kind of helped get going here. And, um, and um, you also have the tomato I've, I've heard stories about, um, you know, in the third plate um, book about, mm-hmm. the, you know, the magic tomato. Um, is there, you know, what are the next projects that you guys are working on? What is, what are some things that are exciting that, that you guys, you know, what are some, some people you like to work with and are developed relationships with? Yeah, it's great. Um, well, to give some context, I, I've always been interested in seed breeding. Again, as a, with a plant science background, I've always had interest in breeding in general. And um, <clears throat> so I have some, I just had a personal interest in, in working with a lot of different seed companies and breeders in the past. And But really, again, when I thought to, about this place and what it is and what, as an organization, we really have to offer, this, the, the real beauty of a farm at Stone Barns is that we have such a reach. It, it Status quo is not the thing we want to try to achieve. Mm-hmm. We, we want a baseline of uh, our best practices, our most... Uh, Uh, cyclic synergistic kind of systems in place and then on that 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 should be our base that's the stuff that like you could talk about any day what I want to do is every day we should see a different thing happening on that edge how we're challenging to do what we do better in relation in this sort of conduit relationship between the environment that we are caring for and the the community that we're feeding and, mm-hmm. and we're ac- allowing access for. Mm-hmm. So the idea of innovation, experimentation, and doing that kind of stuff on the farm is really, uh, there's a lot of sides to it. Sometimes it's just making sure that our methods are really clear mm-hmm. and, uh, and replicable at kind of an, uh, uh, an archetypal kind of platform. That you've, basically, if you have this set of things, you can... You can navigate any place. Uh-huh. You can find the ways. You can find the resources you have because there there are laws in nature that are are things to be emulated. So from that we say, all right, well, our environment is a working place like this. Now let's find what things work best on it. Then we start to grow these different plants that we have, and everything we grow. And we have five hundred crops in play pretty much at any time. And uh, same with animals. We have a lot of diversity in our animals. So let's say all these vegetables that are happening, we want to challenge them. Which ones are doing best in this place? So what we'll do is we'll choose a series of something like a pepper, long sweet pepper, and we'll go to all the seed companies mm-hmm. and ask them for everything they're working on in that way. And, and over the years, we basically file through all the stuff and multi-years growing the same ones side by side, see how they act in different in uh, you know, different climates and things like that, get to know the breeders more. They get to know what we're looking for. Is it flavor? Is it size? Is it like prolonged picking period? Is it total yield? Is it, you know, what are these things? All of these different attributes that come around. And we have this great open relationship with the restaurant in terms of evaluation and a relationship with our public and our CSA for evaluation where people are tasting and responding right away. Mm-hmm. And we track all that. And that's what we share back. That, that's how we work with the seed companies. Mm-hmm. Um, with the universities, I really like to work with public breeders around mm-hmm. the country because they're working on stuff that is generally unfinished. Um, 
you know, they bred for a particular trait, but there was no market necessarily designed for it. Mm-hmm. Or so taking things like that, our evaluation would help direct further research or like the honey nut squashes in one example is that we brought it up to a level of awareness that it was picked up by multiple seed companies and eventually entered the industry as an excellent squash that was essentially lost to obscurity in a, in a seed vault mm-hmm. uh, because it didn't fit that sort of conventional picture of a honey nut or of a butternut squash. Um, but this place essentially provides a vehicle for you guys to just kind of go for it and see if it works, right? And, and take that oh, chance. But the thing is, the nice thing about this is that it doesn't, especially with working with other professionals, having partners in the relationship, is that it's not really a risk. See, it, it, it may seem like a risk to, to be reaching out, doing stuff that you haven't grown before. The reality is if you're working with people who really know what your values are mm-hmm. and are doing excellent work, we should be able to find that communication, find those right things. I mean, we're not taking stuff that's like just people are guessing at. They know that these things are good in some way. They just don't know how yet. Mm-hmm. So we ask, we have deliberate asks about what we're looking for in the space. And over the years, we have relationships with you know dozens of seed companies and, and at least a dozen universities on a regular basis. And so we're, we're keeping with them and you know keeping these projects rolling. Um, and some things we just don't necess- we can't necessarily get and so mm-hmm. we breed them ourselves and whether that's uh, our peas or some squashes and sometimes we'll choose to breed certain things um, because we really feel like there's a great story to tell in that place like uh, saving this old polenta corn otophile that I've had for a decade and that, that mm-hmm. one sort of purifying that breed has been a real important thing I just think that <clears throat> uh, every crop has a way to be more uh, appropriately regionalized mm-hmm. and, and suitable for this place and also for the people who eat it. Yeah. Because that's, that's what creates cuisine. It's not just what grows best, and it's not just what people want. It's both. It's How does it past, connect? Yeah. Right? It's, cuisine is sustainability. If there's a cuisine, it's because there was some sustainability that designed it, that there was these things allowed an agricultural system to work for a thousand years. Mm-hmm. Right? We don't have that in the U.S. because of the way that the, the, uh, the inquiries take place. Like, I want this thing. I'm going to choose A, B, C, take all of it, and the rest of the stuff I don't really want. You know, that won't last. Mm-hmm. You're looking for things that will last long term. These these built-in relationships that you can then build on as as a foundation. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And <clears throat> I guess that's what, like what the community needs, right? And they need that foundation, and then and then you have cuisine that comes out of that. And and then other areas are there around the animals. I think that is a little bit different um, because they're very input driven, especially pigs and chickens and other poultry. I. Um, it's a it's such a grain based system yeah um, so there's a lot around that um, we for a long time we were raising forest raised pigs pasture raised pigs um, there was just too much grain and the the way I look at this is that when you it doesn't matter if it's a pig or a chicken if you're feeding them every day with grain from outside the farm you have to look at that animal as basically a fertilizing machine you know the animal's 
gaining and you're going to have this product, but most of what it eats actually goes through it. Mm -hmm. So all that nutrition is entering our system. Now, <clears throat> what's always been surprising to me is if you ask a farmer how much you know, nitrogen they put on their field or, or how much uh, you know, organic matter they'd be putting in their vegetable fields or something like that, you know, everybody studies their soil tests, and they're like, I'm going to put this amount on and this amount on this amount. And they're not counting the thousands and thousands of pounds of manures that are going through these birds or these pigs into forest or into pasture. And it's something to equate for. Mm -hmm. Because without seeing that equation, it's almost like being blind to, to cons later consequence. And so it also is when you recognize it, you actually start to realize what the cycle really looks like. The, the land base can handle this many animals. And after that size, after that number, if you want to do more, they have to go inside. So you've kind of, it basically allowed, you basically sized your, your livestock production off of what you could <clears throat> do here off of this system. And that's kind of how you thought about that. That fits into the cuisine, I imagine, as well, correct? That's right. And then, so that's how it changes the cuisine because <clears throat> obviously, well, we'll use the pigs as an example. So the limiting factors for growing pigs is sometimes space. So you could say, you know, the pigs just wreck everything. So over time, you know, after they've pretty well turned all the plants over and it's dirt, they've, they've made up their space. So, so there's actual footprint for them to stamp around. Then there's the manure. So how do you want to regulate how much manure goes on any particular piece of land area over time? Mm -hmm. right? um, and then there's the amount of feed that you're giving them. What are you feeding them? Where is that feed coming from? So whether you're buying grain and inputting that, or in our case, we do an entirely waste-fed pig where it's all through vegetables and uh, plant scraps from the farm, from the restaurant, uh, spent brewer's grain, uh, expired dairy, uh, pumice from apple pressing in the fall, pumpkins, uh, you know, basically any organic materials that are, that are coming in that could be good feedstock for them. So we, we're no, we don't bring a lot of that outside material into the farm because we want to use the pigs. Mm -hmm. And this what sparks the real part of this is that especially animals as operations um, become isolated by themselves, where there's, there's nothing that matters to this chicken barn than the chickens that are in it and the feed that gets shipped to it. The, the farm around it and everything, it, it's, it's like it's, it's in a bubble. Mm -hmm. So my feeling is I don't want to have any of these one-off kind of monocultures happening within the center of the farm. I, I want there to be service attributed to the species that we put into place. And I challenge my livestock team to find the purpose, find and the service. Even more webs of connections. Yeah, what are they doing? So the pigs, are, for an example, um, you know, it's clearly a livestock creature, but it's, they're partially managed by my compost manager, and my grounds manager, who really the role is to use them as part of a composting system, use them as part of our forest clearing because we're building silvopasture in several places. So we use the pigs and control their movement and bring them back to their sort of living pad. Mm -hmm. So that the pigs do uh, just the right amount of disturbance and then we can take them off that space 
and make the next move, which is usually a sheep or a goat or something that goes in after that. And so we're using the pigs as tools for the farm. Mm-hmm. And they have, and they're also a recycling system, and in the end, a great product. So we know the number that we can keep. It, we used to do 300, and that was not a sustainable number for us. And we've moved that down to about 70, which is basically a litter every half cycle. Interesting. So about 10 every half cycle, and that mm-hmm. gets us through the year. Um, and in the end, actually doing it the waste feeding like this, we're actually saving money on our production. The animals themselves are much happier. They have excellent quality, absolutely excellent quality. Well, the diversity of diet alone is something that's interesting. I mean, that mm-hmm. they, they'll get to have a lot of different types of things to eat, um, which then probably makes them healthier themselves. And, and that just mm. feeds back into, you know, when it makes it to the plate, it's also healthier for us, you know. It's right. something that people, you know... The flavors are richer. All this comes back and it's being perceived. Again, perception and uh, aesthetic. I think that there's also an aesthetic of taste. This is what this other thing is. We have an aesthetic of, of, of vision. Where we look outside and we say, oh, that white pine is so beautiful. I love how it moves in the wind. But then you realize that it's like just about to fall on top of your car. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, it's like... But this idea in a food system is like, we really want, we we love this sort of like soft, flavor-free kind of uh, loin. And we always want that for some reason. But once you really, but if you learn more about it, the less you like. But more importantly, when you learn about this animal who's lived this incredible life and eaten this great diet and know that, they sort of innately know that there's nutrition being passed on, but the body's the, the animal's body quality is excellent. The meat quality is marbled well. It's darker. It's richer. It has a, a flavor that is uncommon mm-hmm. to other pork and things like that because it gets this diverse diet. And you know, I'd also say that, especially with pigs, it's hard to tell when a chicken's really happy. Although you can, <laughs> pigs are are such social creatures and. Uh, you know, we've always had pretty good-tempered pigs because they're cared for and they're, they're seen a lot. Mm-hmm. But since we started no purchased grain, the, the lifestyle of those animals has, imp- has been, like, striking how different they act with each other and how different they act with us. Mm-hmm. Um, and just uh, really, really great, great to be around. Yeah, it probably... It probably brightens your day to just think about that too, you know. Think about it, you know. You're not just. It, it's it's similar in the way that like I I want to feed my kids well because you know I don't I don't want to I know that that will make their attitude you know worse and that'll make me feel worse and it, it you know it plays a plays a role in how you feel about the farm in general. Um, so you know. What what do you what do you think are you are you happy how far you guys have come? And do you feel positive about where you see the future of agriculture? I mean, there's clearly, there's always more work to do on a, on a grander scale, but, um, you know, what, do you feel positive about where, how you see these young farmers coming through and, and, and how they're leaving? Um, are they, do you feel like they've taken a lot of this knowledge with them and are expanding it to the rest of the country? Um, um, I, I am, to a certain extent, I would always want it to be, more prolific Mm -hmm. i would love there to be more points of entry for everybody 
Um, and I would also like just to, uh, in general, you know, sometimes it's a, it's a hit or miss, you know, when I, when I think about it, sometimes I just really meet a lot of people who know what they're, what they want and that, you know, they're making great choices and doing things. And, and then sometimes I just feel like it's a reset and, um, I meet people who still haven't even given it a lick of thought or, um, <clears throat> or how important it is to really have a sort of bioregional food system, places where um, it's not just about feeding people. I mean, farms have become this uh, very utilitarian thing in our society, but there's so much more for us to recognize because these are the people who are stewarding the lands. Mm -hmm. So there's a whole piece in there about caring for the land itself, people who are uh, uh, are witnessing the change in a way that are translators, you know, through the food, through the contact, all the mm -hmm. different things that happens. And I think it's really important for everybody to recognize their their relationship to it, even if they're, you know, they never leave the city or anything, they're still making an impact and they still have choice and still have opportunity to, to engage in that way. So I think there's a lot of skills. You know, I'm, I am a little bit concerned about uh, just because of the, the climate of things uh, that uh, there's really enough drive to get people to, to ask for it because mm -hmm. a, a farmer gets to a place and has to be asked into the community that they're in. It's not something like, you know, they're, they're producers. We're, we are producers. Mm -hmm. So there has to be a demand for that. Yeah. And that's what matters because if you don't want me around, I'll have to find something else to do. It's not like I can stay here and force everybody to eat my food. Mm -hmm. Like, you know, part of it is that I'm here because I have an incredible community who's asked me to be here. Mm-hmm. And that's what I want to see more of. I want people to feel more confident in the lands they're on, that they're making this kind of stuff happen, um, feeding their communities, making change like that, and just uh, because that by itself is enough to catalyze much bigger change because of awareness. Yeah. What do you think is something that you know someone who lives in a city who who maybe you know can support a farmer or can support this this climate of change you know like how can we how can we push that forward somebody who maybe doesn't have as much access to a farm or agriculture in a direct sense like working on it or someone who maybe has a lower income but still wants to you know make change in their community do you, mm -hmm. do you see any ways that people can do that oh there there's so many new uh ways to engage especially because of there there is a, a fair amount of you know digital technology and communication that, that you can find out about stuff that you couldn't find out about before and it's not like in the you know in the phone book you could find out a place to to get access to uh you know reclaim food or leftover farmers market or be a part of a farmers market or uh work at a co-op or uh uh, go to restaurants that buy from local purveyors or ask your restaurant to do that or ask your grocery store to find to to get these things in. you know there, there's it's such a great space for commerce so of course it could happen but there has to be the impetus of change they have to ask for the change mm -hmm. 
and, and occasionally demand it. But I think there's a lot of ways in for people to get, you know, to get that relationship into the into the cities. Just recognizing that it's bigger than just downtown is, you know, all the land. There's huge amounts of land around the outside of the of these cities, and farmers would love to do a little bit more, grow a little more, you know, have relationships. Mm-hmm. Um, I, you know, there, there's so many sides to it. I think also it's a lot about lifestyle. Like I said, you know, you could go out to eat in a restaurant and you make better choices in that restaurant. It's a very expensive way to do it. Mm-hmm. Um, you can just spend more time at home cooking. You know, fresh vegetables are not expensive compared to purchased yeah. fast food and things like that. You, people can eat a simple and nutritious diet. Uh, but most people that are struggling with that don't have, it's not habitual to cook. And they haven't found the love and interest in cooking mm-hmm. and being home, right? Because the house is just a, a place to go and sleep and maybe eat your food. But, but otherwise, it, it's a way to enliven the home, mm-hmm. is to make a relationship with an agricultural, just, it, it, you know, it, it's a lifestyle. Yeah. I think I and I think that's what's kind of why I started this whole thing is trying to get people to because the food is a great way to get people together. I mean, cooking a meal with family is is, a, is one of the you know the first things you know I experience as a kid and and it's something that I always bring with me. You know that cooking and bringing other people together to share at that table is always you know is always something that people can connect on and and, and I think that's the way the lifestyle change probably happens. Right? Is that mm-hmm. is that push to that <clears throat> table kind of share the table. I think I have a, well, I have a friend staying with us right now at home. Um, all our kids are together, and they drove down from Maine, and they had five CSA shares in the back of their car. And it's, <laughs> they're just traveling around with their vegetables, and, and we always joke that everywhere she goes, she always has food with her. You know, so we know that she's going to show up with, like, giant boxes of vegetables. Even coming to a farmer's house, she still brings <laughs> clearly, it. <laughs> clearly, probably has some, enough vegetables sitting around, right? But, oh yeah, I mean, there's... There's so much of that, uh, food hubs and co-ops and things that are, are happening. And if they're not happening around you, with enough energy, you can make it happen. I mean, that kind of stuff is, uh, there's really a brilliant and inspiring things going on in the food world that seem so small but are making really huge impacts in places. And I think... I think the one thing that I, I uncovered from, you know, researching what you're working on a little bit that I think people aren't recognizing is I think there's a whole market in the farm industry for tools and a lot of things that could help a farmer, a smaller farmer do things on a smaller scale because I feel like that access to it, um, you know, is kind of cut off. And I know you, you guys are working on a project to kind of help garner creation of more tools that'll help, you know, these smaller farmers do things on a smaller scale because I feel like a lot of these things are developed for larger scale operations and are no longer for someone who wants to work a five acre farm or you know something small smaller than that. Um, do you want to talk a little bit more about kind of yeah. these projects with tools and yeah, well you know it's one of these things that we're using our bodies in this space, and so that's the other part of the innovation so you know like I said, innovations or or technology there's this concept that that technology is a, a thing. It's not really a thing. It's like a, a, a like a beam, <laughs> you know. And you want to get in that beam, mm-hmm. and because the tool can always be better, and we have to. You can 
you can innovate for the sake of innovation. Like, how can this bottle be better? Yep. Right? It's going to happen. And then you can adjust in different ways. But until you include the environment around you, like, what is the purpose of this thing in the first place? Is what we really want to try to get to. So our concept has always been to, to innovate for the sake of intimacy and relationship. Like, how do we make this kind of thing work? And so we started to do this group called Slow Tools many years ago um, with uh, my mentor and friend Elliot Coleman and another friend Barry Griffin, who's a, a Harvard uh, engineer professor. And we started talking about different ways that we could you know, we had been building odds and ends, you know, adjusting and fixing our, sort of hacking our tools and things like that. But we thought, you know what, what is it, we really need a place where we can all come together in a forum and kind of share ideas between farmers, but also between engineers and manufacturers and look at these differences that happen between each other and, and try to inspire each other's ideas. Is there an open source kind of thought process, think tank kind of a thing that we would just meet every year Everybody would bring their innovations. We have hosted that here for the past eight years. Mm-hmm. People bring in, they bring their tools, they show how they're going to work, and everybody kind of critiques, and we go down to the greenhouse and we play them. It's usually in December when we do this, it's cold, and we play around in the soil and, and practice with different tools, and then we go off from there inspired, and hopefully people pick up new projects and advance those projects. And out of that, several businesses have arised, um, some that produce greenhouse system pieces, components, others that are working on uh, hub motor and uh, electric power systems, others are super innovative stuff like uh, just, uh, you know, kind of far out more future technology, but also uh, still bringing the farmer closer to the fields. Mm-hmm. Um, you don't want to interfere with that lifestyle piece or the relationship piece, right? You wanted to kind of build on top of that. It's, it's yeah. just a... I mean, we figured out how to get to Mars. We, you know, we've done so much stuff in this world. Um, but it's not about... And again, those are sort of getting to those things. And we, we're not in the intimacy place with Mars yet. <laughs> but when it comes to a tool, this is about a, a person who's going to make a relationship with their place. So... The more we farm, the more we realize it's not actually the task we're doing that is the center point. It's the space that we create. So, like, my posture, the speed, the timing, the sharpness, all of these things are really critical to clear-mindedness, right? When I put myself in the space like this, I shouldn't be thinking about every stroke of my hoe or my knife or whatever I'm using, or a tractor for that matter. I should be thinking about the environment I'm in, not my safety in that environment. And that in turn makes you a better farmer, right? Yeah. Because it allows you to pay those close minute attention. So the idea of a tool is, uh, you know, it can, and the relationship to technology are a different thing. My, my phone here is a tool. It's it doesn't meet the technology that I need. Actually, as soon as it was built, it was probably obsolete <laughs> to meet that technology. There's mm-hmm. a thousand things wrong with this phone, and yet it's incredibly innovative. It's a, it's a tool that has materialized. We, all the things we use, we find these ways to use them. Maybe it's the edge. It's just subtle things, the way that it's designed to hold it. Like I said, the way we're, we're relating to it gives us, it, it takes away some of the work without taking away our contact. 
if you throw yourself up into a tractor and blast ACDC and you know, <laughs> in an air-conditioned space. You're, you're not connected to the space. You're, you're thinking about, you know, whatever. Mm -hmm. could be. And, and we're driving over this, and as computerized and high-tech as the thing can be, it doesn't bring us any closer to relationship with the planet, which is the thing that farmers really are responsible for doing. Mm -hmm. It really is, we're the, one of the last professions that actually can directly benefit from closer relationship to the natural systems around us. And that, we, we shouldn't crush that. It's a really valuable thread to pick up again and rebuild the fabric of what we have. I mean, you can imagine that I always get my inspiration from the 1940s because, mm -hmm. uh, or, you know, best case scenario, I always tell people that the, the best moment in agriculture was, you know, late 1800s into early 19s, before we really were all driving around in cars. And there was just this anticipation of that kind of technology coming into place. But everybody was still very much in touch with their traditional wisdom. Mm -hmm. And it was a great, trans, a great transition point. Um, you know, we didn't capture that. We missed that. So in retrospect, we can look back at those moments and say, what, what do we miss here? How much did we actually just uh, accept new technology as being a total replacement for all this wisdom that was shared down the line? Mm -hmm. right? And then we hit the 40s and we kind of do it again. And then we hit the 70s and we did it again. So there was these, these like really fairly clean increments mm -hmm. that took place and every time that happened, there were these figureheads that popped up in it, like uh, Sir Albert Howard or uh, Steiner or Lady Eve Balfour or Rodale or, uh, you know, all these different people who have come up over the years to wrote about these basic concepts that soil systems are the thing to keep in mind here, that the, the base of our resilience and life on this earth is restoring the soils, main, maintaining those things because that's what's giving us our health and fertility. Um, so if you look at the 40s, we, we just embraced this new technology with a very kind of naive, young perspective. And we went up like that. Mm -hmm. And we have now finally seen a lot of the response of that stuff, like the negative side of some of that stuff. And when we enter this next stage of new technology that is brilliant and applicable in lots of different ways, we can't forget about the real relation. It's the, not just innovating for innovation's sake. You have to innovate for intimacy because it's us and this earth or mm -hmm. else it's not. Yep. You know what I mean? It's innovating within that relationship. And, and, and I think, yeah, you're right. We got to recognize it first. And I think we're starting to do that. And that's why we're, I feel like that agriculture pendulum is starting to shift back to the center for organic um, and, and kind of this regenerative approach to agriculture. And, you know, now we just got to build upon that, right? And, and keep building that. And I feel like that the conference that you guys do every year and a lot of these education programs and, and what Dan is doing to innovate within the cuisine thing is, is pushing that relationship forward, right? I mean, that's, that's, oh, yeah. that's the microcosm that you guys are trying to build upon, right? Again, if the, it's everybody in. The thing that makes this place great is the disciplines that meet and how we work together in that environment that 
we're building trust or building confidence and it's all in the past like the thing about you there's no reason to stick to this thing of like we figured it out <laughs> there's <laughs> it's not happening because all these other things are changing in our world and so let's keep evolving on these it's it's kind of like self-competition the idea is you want you want to find out where the holes are and what you have and and that takes a certain amount of vulnerability it takes a lot of advice and open conversation mm-hmm. um, with yourself and, and yeah with yourself yeah. and with others especially and to appreciate that somebody outside of your specialty can have a very impactive perspective and and that's not easy for people to do mm-hmm. nobody wants to be told that they're doing something in a certain way but we can also that comes with communication better communication better uh, everybody's excited here about all the stuff that's going on with each other the way that we're designing program I'm fascinated by the way that our programs department puts together um, and I feel very honored by the way that I hear them listening I, 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 I can recognize them listening to me and translating these things that like I felt were kind of only thoughts that I was having in it but the working hard to take your input and, and and put it back in their own way right yeah and that inspires me to reciprocate by making it clearer what I'm trying to get across and to to work within their program formats because they're they're in, they're innovative in their own right they're they're not conventional education patterns because they're working with a non-conventional system and the same thing goes with the chefs uh, working with Dan, you know, Dan and I have been working closely, very closely for the past 14 years. And it's, we've never redone anything. It's just when it works, it works, and then it's gone. And, you know, we've had a lot of iterations of the same thing and versions, but we're always trying to adjust and Move improve forward. that. You know, and get out of this mindset of this has to be how it is because this is what happens in the world. Mm-hmm. So it's like, what, what's, what is not happening in this system? What are our opportunities here? What if you did this? What if we allowed for that? Like, those, those are really interesting places to go. And we, I feel very fortunate that I can work with somebody who's willing to perceive the value of doing that. It's not anything about whether or not he can pay for it or something like that. Because I said, it's relatively low risk when people have trust. Mm-hmm. The risk is, it's trust ah, and belief, I'm not going right? to buy it. You know, I'm just not going to buy that. You know, so that's where it scares me in a system where everybody's sort of nickel and diming the per piece or per pound vegetable purchase. And that's supposed to afford what agriculture is on the planet. Mm-hmm. You know, that's where the sort of false... Uh, reality is because it's a service it's a food service for mm-hmm. the world that we care for this earth it's not meant to be it we know that we can't relive this extractionary single-mindedness that that we've made agriculture back to the realization I had at 17 is um, I thought this was generative and it's actually largely extractive it's more like mining than growing. Mm-hmm. And that makes me really sad to even like think. So the part of that is that, all right, so 
that's where we can make a change. The, in some case, it was like, all right, sad because we got taken advantage of, sad because we haven't been paying attention, sad because we just allowed somebody else to take us for a ride mm-hmm. without asking where we were going. Mm-hmm. You know, there's a bunch of things to be concerned about. So when you look at it that way, it's a little different. Then you're like, actually, you know what? I'm getting off this bus and I'm going to do it with this group of people because they really care about what they're doing. Mm-hmm. And, and that's, that's driven me. I mean, it's been a fair amount of years here and I'm still psyched to be here and to be working on new projects all the time. We're, you know, redesigning mobile coops for chickens. We're, we're building tractors where we have all kinds of like really innovative heat capture compost systems. Um, we're breeding chickens. We're, you know, it's just, there's a, so many cool things going on. My team is really f- cross-cultural. This is the other thing about relation that my team is, you know, growers, vegetable growers, flowers, uh, you know, in greenhouses and fields and all these things, livestock and our whole beautiful landscape here, our forest management, our compost. And everybody is a, a shared team. I mean, right before here, about an hour before you got here, we, we have our weekly meeting. And um, everybody knows each other's business. Mm-hmm. And if they really need help, we got each other's back. Uh-huh. You know, everybody's a specialist in their space, but we know a great deal about what each other's work is. And we really absolutely care. And we, everybody's got cross partnerships Mm -hmm. for one project or another. I I try to design it like that as a manager, which is another thing about farm managing in this way. It's a, you know, the idea is to bring everybody together and not live in this sort of scarcity thing of all these, it's like a bunch of different parts. We get so much more from just a little bit of crossover. Mm -hmm. Uh, You know, they're, they're there to help each other. It's, uh, really fun environment to work in and it's been you know these are seasoned farmers in their own way and and then all the apprentices in a couple of weeks all of our apprentices show up and a whole another dive into a hole. Yeah. yeah yeah so on the heels of you know this new book letters to a young farmer is there anything else you want to put out in the world to a young farmer what do you <clears> want to you know say to them before they get back out in their field this <laughs> this spring yeah, just uh, don't forget the love. That's the, the whole thing. Remember, remember why you're out there. And, uh, you know, every task, every task has its own mastery. Mm-hmm. You know, just, There's always more to be learned and more to master, it seems like. <laughs> yeah, you know, every time we do it, and that's what it is. It's not just about making it easier. Ease happens when, when things line up and... Um, you know, I always think about, there's this great quote that uh, E.F. Schumacher actually mm-hmm. says, you know, he says that, that you know, true sustainability is, uh, you know, includes beauty and health and permanence. And the last one, which is productivity, is really the, the only one that anybody ever measures. And yet... It's really just the, the product of those first three. The 
focus on the health, focus on the beauty, and focus on the resilience and permanence of the thing that you're putting into place. It doesn't matter if you leave that place in a year. It doesn't matter if you own it or lease it. it doesn't matter if you're doing it for somebody else. The, the key is that you're doing it right now in this place and you're making a change. Mm-hmm. And like that's what drives me all the time. When I get out of that, it's less fun. <laughs> yeah. Jack taught me so much in my short time with him. Stone Barnes is looking for new apprentices every year to take part in their program. As Jack explained, all you need is the engine to make change and understand the dynamics of farming. If you haven't already, pick up a copy of Letters to a Young Farmer. It is a wonderful book pulling together excerpts from farmers all over the country, organized by the team at the Stone Barn Center. For any farmer starting out, it is a great place to gain confidence and insight. Thanks for tuning in. If you have a second, please leave a review. Word of mouth can go a long way. Our lead editor is Rebecca Shenton, and our music was created by Ben Wank of Three Springs Fruit Farm. Till next time, this is Zach Kaiser, signing off.